0: chapter sixteen of the barnabys in america by francis milton trollope this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter sixteen a new orleans rout of first-rate splendour mrs allen barnaby in all her glory miss beauchamp and mr egerton dance together the gentleman conceives some kindness for miss louisa perkins miss matilda perkins is translated to the seventh heaven together with her friend mrs allen Barnaby the drawing-rooms of mrs judge johnson like many others in new orleans were large lofty and handsome and on the present occasion very tolerably lighted so that mrs allen barnaby and her party felt on entering them all the delight of reviving hope for the future the rooms were already very nearly full colonel and mrs beauchamp being always very late owing to the gentleman's evening nap which nothing was ever permitted to interfere with but this circumstance only added to the gratification of our party proving to them at once by one heart cheering coup d'oeil that they were as mrs allen barnaby emphatically expressed it once more in the land of the living isn't it a comfort patty said she making a sudden step forward and clutching her daughter's arm isn't it a comfort to see so many full-dressed people again i swear that i dreamt half a dozen times at the very least when i was aboard ship that the devil or something like him came and told me i should never put my foot in a ballroom again and you see that dreams do go by contraries isn't it delightful Patty? lor mamma how you do pull me said patty in return endeavouring to withdraw herself from the maternal grasp in order not to be separated from her husband who was drawing her forward yes yes to be sure it is very delightful only let me go at this moment mrs judge johnson a very thin lady of about five-and-thirty came forward from the crowd that surrounded her and to whom she was giving in the strictest confidence a few hints as to who was coming with all the interesting particulars now attached to the names of allen barnaby the interest and curiosity thus excited was of the most animating kind and produced so evident a desire to behold this celebrated heroine of the tale that mrs allen barnaby had the exquisite gratification of finding herself the object upon which every eye was fixed perhaps her heart had never beat so joyously since the moment of her first introduction to lord muckleberry with the acuteness which made so remarkable a feature in her character she saw at a single glance what was going on and understood it too completely do you see donny do you see she whispered in the ear of her husband on whose arm she was now stalking forward with indescribable dignity to receive the welcome of her hostess don't they all look as if they were ready to worship me i have not told you yet all that i have been hearing and saying about the niggers mrs judge johnson having now succeeded in getting within speaking distance of her illustrious guest made a curtsey at once becoming the dignity of a judge's lady and the cordial hospitality of a louisianian patriot upon receiving a lady about to write a book on the principles avowed by mrs allen barnaby and which were already pretty generally known throughout the room I can't be thankful enough, I'm sure, ma'am, to my obliging friend, Mrs. Colonel Beauchamp, for bringing me and the judge acquainted with a European lady of your standing and great ability. There has been a great deal of ill blood brewed, and evil seed sown between our two countries by the vile, abominable lies and slanders that some of your travelling authors have propagated against us and to such a lady as you are i expect this must be as hateful as it is to us but if what we hear of you is true ma'am which we cannot doubt seeing it comes from mrs colonel beauchamp of big gang bank if all the good we hear of you is true you shall find that we are not people to take up prejudices against all for the faults and the crimes of some you will find yourself as much honoured here mrs allen barnaby as if you were a free-born citizen of our glorious soil we have no prejudices against the english notwithstanding all the ill they have done us all we ask at their hands is a fair and honest account of the glories of our unrivalled government and the splendour of our institutions and this is just what we never get from them for it is a common saying among us that the bigness of their lives is in proportion to the littleness of their country but by you ma'am we expect to be treated differently and different as you will find will be the return and this honourable gentleman is i expect the major your husband he is heartily welcome ma'am for your sake and so are all the rest of the ladies and gentlemen and would be if there was double the number just in time too here comes the honourable judge johnson my husband judge this is the lady from england as we were talking of but now you remember and she whispered something in his ear and this is a major of england her husband and these are her sons and daughters i believe or her very particular friends all come out to travel with her and to help her maybe, in giving a fair and just account of us at last mrs judge johnson was one of those ladies who when they begin a speech never seem to know how to leave off again it is probable she would not have ended there had not the judge began to speak himself and whenever this happened she immediately ceased an example which it would be well if many ladies of many countries followed the judge however had certainly a particularly good right to the privilege thus accorded him because it was very rarely that in his own house he spoke at all he was a senator and in the chamber of the legislature was celebrated for his eloquence but elsewhere he was generally speaking a very silent man he was one of those who had with the utmost consistency of purpose and unvarying steadiness of principle persevered in advocating the righteousness of the slavery system against all the attacks made upon it by those whose notions of freedom as a national characteristic were founded on rather a broader basis than his own it was he who with the most constantly sustained and most acrimonious vehemence had through session after session browbeat abused and ridiculed the bold men who had ventured to attack this darling idol of the slave states and he was reverenced accordingly by those who worshipped it this honourable gentleman almost rivalled his lady though with fewer words in expressing the height length and breadth of the affection and esteem which he ever held ready to bestow on all persons willing to come forward in support of what he was wont to call his principles men of all lands when they talk of their principles generally look conscientious and sublime and so did the honourable judge johnson you might have thought to look at him when he was haranguing on the immutable nature of right of the heaven-born holiness of justice of the sinful weakness of permitting vacillating laws and untried innovations to sap and undermine the venerable institutions of the republic that it was a martyr who was preaching in support of a holy but painful doctrine which none but the steadfastly pure and holy-minded had courage to defend and accordingly he was universally characterized by every citizen who possessed a slave throughout the union as one of the worthiest and most high-minded men that ever lived as true as steel and as honest as a day and those who hung all their hopes of continued prosperity upon the system he supported might well speak thus of him for if he was right there he was wrong in nothing else in nothing at least in which this principle was not so vitally mixed as to make part and parcel of the thing itself he was himself a strict liver in all ways but if it chanced that any instances came before him of the licentious immorality which inevitably arises from the monstrous union in partition which this fearful system produces his strict morality seemed to melt away like wax before the sun and till he was again heard to speak upon some theme where this did not interfere the honourable mr judge johnson might be mistaken for the most licentious man alive of all this however major and mrs allen barnaby knew very little and of course cared considerably less they were both all bows amenity and smiles the lady moved her plumes shook her perfumed locks and declared that new orleans seemed to her a perfect paradise i had no idea of seeing such a room of elegant company as this it almost perfectly equals anything in london my own last party to be sure was more numerous and as many of the ladies wore their court dresses because we were all at the drawing-room that morning it was more but luckily before she finished her sentence a contracted brow or two among the group she was addressing reminded her of the outbreak of her friend mrs beauchamp when the court of queen victoria had been alluded to on a former occasion therefore suddenly stopping short she looked round her with a sort of renewed delight and then exclaimed with very captivating naivete but oh good gracious what use is it to talk of london or paris or any other place in the world for where did any one ever see in the same number so many beautiful elegant dressed women or so many noble dignified-looking men i am very glad to find you are struck with that my dear mrs allen barnaby said mrs beauchamp in an audible whisper and throwing her handsome patriotic eyes over the group of tall republicans who standing in a cluster behind the judge were gazing with very eager curiosity at the lady who it was rumoured was come all the way from the old country on purpose to do them justice and to write about them and their nasty niggers in the proper style i am very glad you are struck with that she repeated with energy because in this part of the union we do rather pride ourselves upon the elegant style of our gentlemen all the young ladies in the united states you know are counted pretty some more and some less of course but it is in vain to deny that it is only in the slave states that the gentlemen look first-rate and the reason is so plain if people would but give themselves the trouble to understand it for it's only in the slave states in course that a citizen is a master as well as a man and what right i should like to know have those europeans who clamor against our negro slavery to insist upon it that american gentlemen shall be the only gentlemen in the world who can't say that much for themselves a very audible murmur of applause ran round the circle which had now surrounded the strangers at this sally and devilish smart woman that was heard from various quarters mr egerton who had been in the room some time before the arrival of mrs beauchamp's party had by this time made his way up to it an effort which he had probably been disposed to make because the individuals composing it were the only ones in the room save the honourable judge johnson himself whom he knew by name or with whom he had ever exchanged a syllable mrs beauchamp in her eagerness to perform properly all the duties of a chaperon to mrs allen barnaby had dropped the arm of her daughter on entering the room saying you know everybody in the room annie so you won't want me but let who will come to you be sure to keep civil with the english people finding herself thus alone miss beauchamp looked round her before she took another step in advance not so much however to see with whom she should join herself as how most securely to avoid the proximity and conversation of madame tornorino for whom she had conceived an aversion even greater than the fact of her being english could account for having ascertained in what direction she and her loving husband had turned she next looked about her for the other individuals of the party for whom her mother had requested her civility and perceiving that the favoured matilda had received permission to place the tips of her fingers on the gallant arm of patty's don she looked about her and for some time in vain for the melancholy louisa and at last found her considerably in rear of the party of course utterly alone and with an air as utterly desolate annie instantly stepped back and joined her offering her delicate arm smiling exceedingly like an angel of light and beginning to talk to her about the room and the people as if they had been intimately acquainted for months the sadness of the melancholy louisa gave way before all this unlooked-for kindness and being really as good-natured a woman as ever lived she soon got talking and laughing with her young companion in a much gayer style than was quite usual with her for even before she had been beguiled into leaving her country the constant anxiety in which she lived respecting her sister's unpromising project of getting a husband had rendered the life of miss louisa far from a happy one on perceiving the pleasant effect her attentions produced on the person whose quiet sadness had so moved her young heart to compassion annie redoubled her efforts to be amusing and at the moment mr egerton reached the place where she and miss louisa were standing a little apart from the crowd that surrounded the great lion of the evening annie had made her companion laugh heartily and was looking the very picture of gaiety and good humour herself mr egerton before he spoke to them gazed at her for a moment in astonishment and it might be perhaps a little in admiration miss beauchamp was not on this occasion dressed in her robe of brown holland but as far as form went was hardly less simply clad and as the material was white muslin without any mixture of colour or decoration of any kind her appearance was still as remarkable for its quiet neatness as before one ornament however she had which was the full-blown flower of a snow-white japonica which she had fastened gracefully enough on one side of her head having indulged unseen in looking at her for a minute or two mr egerton stepped forward and made himself visible bowing civilly to the elder lady and expressing his hope that he saw the younger well oh dear what a pity that matilda is not here exclaimed the kind louisa in her heart this is the very gentleman she was so anxious to be introduced to and now he seems quite inclined to get acquainted her sister however was too far off to be summoned by any becks or winks that she could set in action and all she could do was to return his civility in the most obliging manner which she did by curtseying to him three times successively miss beauchamp meanwhile from the unexpected suddenness of mr egerton's address or from some other cause perhaps her extreme dislike of him coloured violently but soon recovered both from the laughter he had interrupted and the slight agitation he had produced and then her manner became again as cold as distant and as disdainful as it had ever been when conversing with him it is not very easy for a gentleman to keep up a conversation under such circumstances especially when so large a portion of contempt and dislike mixes with his own feelings but with a sort of pertinacious obstinacy mr egerton was determined that he would talk to miss beauchamp it might be that he hoped to plague her or it might be that he hoped to amuse himself with her transatlantic idiom but let the reason be what it might he was very steadfast in his purpose and on seeing the young people preparing to dance actually proposed himself to her as a partner annie looked at him with considerable surprise and certainly her first impulse was to decline the offered honour but she was very fond of dancing and if she refused him she could not dance with another without a degree of rudeness which nothing but a fresh outbreak on his part in praise of his own country could have given her a courage for she therefore after a little delay that was just long enough to be uncourteous bowed her consent and he presented his arm she looked at him as american young ladies always do look on such occasions before they have visited europe and walked on beside him in silence but without accepting it and hereupon mr egerton passed judgment upon her with a spice of european injustice for totally ignorant of the law which forbids young ladies to walk lock and lock with young gentlemen he conceived her rejection of this ordinary piece of civility to be only an additional proof of her determination to be rude to him they had not however proceeded three steps in advance before annie inexpressibly provoked at herself for her thoughtlessness which really surprised as much as it vexed her turned suddenly back again to poor louisa and kindly taking her hand which she drew under her arm she said my dear miss perkins i don't know what i was thinking of to leave you in this way i expect you must think me the very rudest person you ever saw let me take you to your party before i begin dancing shall we look for your sister or for mrs allen barnaby thank you my dear young lady you are very very kind to me always replied the really grateful louisa if you can find out mrs allen barnaby for me i shall be very glad because do you know i should like to ask her if she thinks it would be possible to get a partner for my sister matilda will it please you miss perkins if she gets a partner said annie please me my dear miss beauchamp oh dear oh dear i should be so delighted i really can't tell you how delighted i should be then just stay here one moment will you with your countryman mr Egerton and i will see if i can manage it without troubling mrs allen barnaby and so saying she glided away leaving the not too well matched compatriots side by side you seem to have become already extremely intimate with that young american lady miss perkins said the gentleman do you find her very agreeable i find her sir the very sweetest kindest young creature i ever met with in my whole life replied the grateful louisa with a degree of emotion that communicated itself to her voice i really do think that if i saw much of her i should grow to love her a great deal too well she being an american foreigner which would make it seem almost wrong and unnatural i am afraid why really miss perkins if you feel thus strongly already i should be apt to think that you might carry your partiality rather farther than was reasonable for you can have seen but very little of her and that is quite true sir certainly but very great sweetness and very great kindness will go to one's heart i believe without taking a great deal of time for it the handsome gallant gay young egerton looked in the pale face of the still dismal-looking old maid with a considerable approach towards good fellowship perhaps miss perkins you patronize pretty young ladies said he smiling and i won't deny that miss beauchamp is very pretty though she is so thoroughly american pretty sir is that all you can say i do think she is the most perfect beauty that ever was looked at yes yes he replied laughing she is quite sufficiently beautiful and i see i was right in supposing that this is the reason you have taken such a fancy to her then without wishing to be rude sir she replied very earnestly instead of being right i must tell you that you are quite wrong i don't believe at all that i have any particular liking for beauty there's my sister's particular friend miss patty madame Tornarito. i mean i have heard that she is considered quite a complete beauty and i do assure you sir that since she has been fully grown up i have sometimes taxed myself with being very ill-humoured and unamiable about it for the handsomer she seemed to get the more i seemed to dislike looking at her again mr egerton laughed but by no means impertinently and though he did not think it discreet to tell the lady how very well he understood and how very much he sympathized with her he did offer his arm to conduct her to a seat saying that he would watch for the return of miss Beauchamp. but before miss louisa could express her sense of his obligingness or do anything more than wish that it was her sister matilda instead of herself that he was so polite to annie returned bringing the glad tidings that she had got one of the best partners in the room for miss matilda and now tell me she added where shall i leave you Oh, just there, if you please, my dear, where this gentleman was going to get me a seat before you came back. But shall you not like better to be with your party? said Annie. Mrs. Allen Barnaby has got all the grandeur of New Orleans around her. Should not you like to get a place near her? I am sure I can manage it. No, thank you, my dear, replied Miss Louisa rather hastily. I would a great deal rather sit here by myself, if you please.' again mr egerton felt a strong movement of sympathy towards the old maid and it seemed as if he thought not of his beautiful partner till he had conducted her to the seat she desired to occupy then however he returned with no very lingering step to the spot where he had left annie conversing with some of her acquaintance whom he heard entreating her as he came up to get them an introduction to the celebrated mrs allen barnaby by this time the gentlemen dancers were all leading their partners to their places and mr egerton perceived that the manner in which this ceremony was performed was by the gentlemen's taking the hand of the lady in the good old sir charles grandison style and so parading her to the place she was to occupy they took their station at the side of the quadrille which gave them time for a little conversation before the figure of the dance called upon them to begin Your antipathy towards the degenerated inhabitants of the old country, Miss Beauchamp, seems to have relaxed, in one instance at least. You are exceedingly kind and attentive to that poor, unhappy-looking Miss Perkins. I don't think she is unhappy-looking at all, replied Annie evasively. Not at least when she has anything in the world to make her look cheerful. I never saw any one more easily pleased in my life. And you really appear to take pleasure in producing this metamorphosis from grave to gay returned mr egerton and i could understand this very well if she were not an englishwoman but as it is i confess to you that i am somewhat puzzled to understand why you have so decidedly taken her into favour annie looked at him for a moment as if doubtful how to answer and then said with a little air as if she had at length made up her mind i will tell you the reason mr egerton miss perkins is the only person i have ever heard of i will not say conversed with though it would sound better but i have scarcely conversed with any miss perkins is the only english person i ever heard of who did not think him or herself vastly superior to everybody else in the world she poor thing is exactly the contrary for she has every symptom of believing herself inferior to everybody and that is the reason why i think her the most interesting individual of the english party at mrs carmichael's the english party at mrs carmichael's muttered mr egerton to himself and then he and his fair partner were called upon to perform their part in the dance meanwhile the happiness of miss matilda was almost greater than anything she had ever dared again to hope for at a ball when endeavouring to obtain a partner for her miss beauchamp had not scrupled to hint that she was as it were part and parcel of that celebrated mrs allen barnaby who was come from england to new orleans on purpose to write a book in praise of the united states and in defence of the slave system not only was this enough to procure the gentleman to whom it was addressed as a partner in the first quadrille but no less than three others solicited the honour of her hand before the first set was over for the subsequent dances those who know anything of miss matilda perkins can be at no loss to imagine her feelings nor was her friend and patroness less happy senators members of congress lawyers writers and statesmen all crowded round her and seemed to vie with each other in demonstrations of esteem and admiration the heart of my heroine whispered to her this is what i was born for this is my real vocation her well-pleased husband lingered near her long enough to see how admirably well she bore her honours and then giving her unseen by all one very little wink of satisfaction turned away confessing to the honourable judge johnson who at that moment made the inquiry that he had no objection whatever to a rubber the fair patty was in short the only one of the party who did not think this visit very delightful but being absolutely obliged to give up her husband to her papa who had become so attached to him as to resolve upon never playing a game of cards of any kind without having him near his person she found very little fun even in dancing because of course now as she rather pettishly muttered to herself nobody could dare to make love to her for fear the don should snap his nose off before she left the room however she too came in for a share of the honours of the evening for a certain mrs general Gregory a lady very richly dressed and having every appearance of being a person of great consequence made acquaintance with her by admiring her gown this led to other subjects and as patty was not disposed to dance much mrs general gregory had so advanced the acquaintance before they parted as to promise to come and call upon her and her mamma at the boarding-house this greatly revived the spirits of patty for the lady talked of her carriage and her horses and her servants and occasionally of the general her husband so that our young bride again felt that she too was somebody but after all it was mrs allen barnaby herself who was in truth the well head and spring of all these honours she was herself fully aware of this and enjoyed the glorious prospect opening before her with all the native energy of her character the last words she uttered to her husband before wishing him finally good-night will show the acuteness with which she read the causes that had produced such agreeable effects i say donny do you think i shall find a word or two to say in praise of slavery won't i my dear that's all chapter Sixteen.